episode number 189 of the Living Deliberately podcast. Hi, this is Shira Gura. Welcome to my podcast. If you're new to me, just so that you know who you're listening to, I am the author of the books, Getting Unstuck, Five Simple Steps to Emotional Well-Being, and The Clear Way, Five Simple Steps to Be Mentally Prepared for Anything. These books are based on two self-help tools I created that support you in getting unstuck and getting clear so you can live deliberately. Thank you so much for choosing to be with me today. And now for today's episode. Hello, my dear listeners, and thank you so much for joining me today. So if you had a moment to check out the title of this episode, you may be thinking, what the? Why is Shira talking about organ donations on this episode? What in the world does that have to do with living deliberately? Well, it absolutely 100% does, and I'm going to share a story with you about that in just a moment. But before I do, for those of you who subscribe to my newsletter, or if you are inside the Living Deliberately Hub on Facebook, that's my Facebook group, and if you're on neither, come on board because we are moving mountains and I don't want you to be left behind. But if you are in either, you will know that the word that we are deliberately focusing on this month together is generosity. And in only one week that has passed since this month has begun, there has been tremendous generosity going on in the world as seen in the Facebook group, including generosity to self, including generosity of thoughts to others, and even generosity of thoughts about optimism. Remember, generosity is not just about giving away money. You can be generous in so many other wonderful ways in your life, including being generous to receive generosity. Really. Some people find it really hard to receive gifts, whether that's a physical gift or someone's love. And this month, you can even practice being generous with yourself and allow yourself to receive. There is a world of generosity out there waiting for us to access, and I welcome you to join me in all of it. Okay, so today I actually have two stories for you relating to generosity and relating to one another. The first one has to do with a friend of mine who recently moved to a new home. She gave me permission to share this story. I won't share her name, but I asked her permission because when I share the story, she'll know that I'm speaking about her and I wanted to be sure she'd be okay with me sharing her story, which she was. So, my friend moved homes. In fact, she didn't only move homes, she moved countries. She moved across the world to Israel, and that's a pretty big thing. And I was so excited, both for her and for me, and I wanted to gift her something really special. Now, what do you gift a good friend when she moves to a new country, knowing, you know, she only came with probably two suitcases in total? It's a hard one, right? What can you give? Now, obviously, I was going to gift her generosity in my time, and I was going to gift her generosity in being resourceful and taking her to government agencies she would need to go to to get all set up and all of that. That was obvious, and I knew I was going to do all of that, and I did, and I continue to. But more than that, I wanted to get her a gift. I thought of buying her a plant at first, but I also thought that would be kind of boring. 
And I thought about buying her a trash can and a mop and all the other things that we use in our house that we probably take for granted that she would actually need. But I also decided against that, thinking she would just let me know what she wants me to pick up, knowing that a lot of people might even have doubles of things in their houses and they could just give them to her, like I did with my hand immersion and my kitchen sieve that I gave to her. So no, instead, I wanted to make her something handmade that would really show that it came from my heart. And I thought about a house that I recently visited, and inside of this house, they had beautiful flags, like triangular-shaped flags, hanging from a long string that was like hung across the entrance to the house, and it represented peace and love and calm. And I loved those flags. I loved walking into that person's house because of how it made me feel. Now, I really do like art projects, but I'm not a maven at them. The truth is, I don't have a sewing machine. I don't even know how to use a sewing machine. And I don't even have scissors that cut fabric. But I wanted to make those flags for my friend, which would mean I would need to find out where to buy the fabric, I would need to find a sewing machine, and I would need to get lessons on how to use the sewing machine. But I was up for the challenge. First things first, I had to find a fabric store nearby, which I did. And I actually had a lot of fun in that tiny little store that I probably have passed a thousand times and I just never noticed. I browsed through the shelves of material that were all folded neatly into small piles until I came up with six different fabrics that I really liked. And I was so excited to buy the material and bring it home and start working at it. Then I called my friend who has a sewing machine and I asked if she wouldn't mind giving me a lesson so that I could learn how to make these flags myself. And she did. And then I went back another day when she wasn't using her sewing machine to cut the fabric and sew the flags. I actually think they came out beautiful. The flags were in blues and pinks, and the truth is I had enough material to make two strings of flags, which I did, and if you come to my home, you'll see them hanging over the bay window. I love the energy of the flags, I love that they were handmade, and I just love the feeling of calm and peace that they bring to me when I see them. So when my friend arrived, and after her two-week quarantine, I brought over a bunch of things to bring her, including my gift, which I explained to her was handmade. But here's the thing. I got clear ahead of time. And by clear, I'm not using that word in a generic sense. I'm actually talking about my method, the clear way. And if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, you can browse back to the episodes where I talk about the clear way or grab my book on Amazon. But anyway, I got clear. I uncovered the expectations I had of my friend's response. I accepted the possibility that she might not like or she might not want my flags. And I committed to not taking it personally either way. I gave her the flags, she seemed to like them, and she thanked me. It was only a few weeks later when she was all settled in and had set up her home as she wanted, including the wall hangings that she brought from her home from the United States, that she came over one day to return things that she didn't need that I gave her, including the flags. And here's the thing. I wasn't shocked. I wasn't surprised, nor was I offended. I actually noticed the flags only when I was starting to go through the pile of things she left me. I didn't see it at first. And when I saw them, I was like, oh, okay, 
She doesn't want the flags. I wonder else who may. And that was it. It was the end of that story. I didn't get stuck. I wasn't upset with my friend. I was not offended that she didn't like my gift. And the reason was, was because I had gotten clear ahead of time. It was going through the steps of the clear way that saved me from getting stuck, which is why I practice getting clear every single day, both in my personal and professional life. And if you don't get clear, or you don't even know how to get clear, it can lead you to get stuck, which leads me to my second story for you for today. This story is about another friend of mine who lives in my community and who gave me permission to share her story. Her name is Tehillah, which in Hebrew means glory. And last week, Tehillah invited me to a healing circle that she organized regarding a tragic event she had recently experienced. So let me tell you her story. About two years ago, Tehillah was reading the newspaper here in Israel and read a story about someone who donated a kidney to save the life of someone else. In reading more into the story, she learned that there is an organization in Israel called Matnat Chaim, which means in English, gift of life. I looked up the organization on the internet, and this is what it said on the homepage. Our organization recruits and supports healthy volunteers to donate a kidney to someone in need of a transplant. The kidney donors receive no monetary compensation for their donation, and the recipients do not pay for their transplants. All kidney donations are done on a voluntary and altruistic basis. The sole motivation of the organization and the kidney donors is the desire to help others and save lives. Wow. The Israeli organization was formed in the memory of Rabbi Israel Heber, who was on dialysis at the time and received a kidney that prolonged his life for about 10 years. It was during that time that he formed and he fought for this organization, and his wife Rachel has subsequently continued growing this organization since his passing just a few months ago, very unfortunately due to corona. This rabbi was said to have touched the hearts of thousands with his extraordinary modesty, generosity, and humanity. So going back to the healing circle, this was, by the way, a COVID-safe event that was held outside where women in my community came together to be a strong support for Tehillah regarding her story, which I'll share with you now. So Tehillah read this story in a newspaper and decided then and there that she wanted to be a kidney donor. And to you, the listener, and to me, and probably to many other people I know, this may sound like almost impossible that anyone in their right mind would consciously choose to undergo major surgery and give away an essential organ, even though we have two, to save the life of someone you don't even know. Right? Do you agree? And when I met with Tehillah a couple of days later to sit with her after this healing circle, which I'll tell you about in a minute, I was telling her how amazing she is and how amazing she was. I must have said it a million times. And she kept modestly trying to convince me that she's not, 
That's just the way she is. She said, you know, people give of themselves all the time. Look at the women who grow their hair long and then drastically cut it so they can donate it to cancer patients. Or look at the women with young babies who donate their milk to other women who can't nurse. There's a lot of ways to be generous, Shira. I'm not special. There are so many people that do this. Well, she could believe whatever she wants, I told her, but I think, and I reiterated to her, that she is amazing. Anyway, back to her story. What happened was she applied to be a donor, which is a process that doesn't happen overnight. You have to apply. You have to go through a number of physical and mental exams. You have to wait until they find you a match. It's a process. And for Tehila, it was like a year and a half long. And that's a really long time to wait to practice this art of generosity. I remember the excitement when I was told Tehila was going into surgery to do her donation. I was on the list of friends ready to prepare a meal for her upon her return, only to find out that the donor got sick and her surgery would be postponed. It was a big disappointment. So Tehila waited another month or so until the recipient was healthy again, and Tehila went back to the hospital. And don't forget, this is during corona, a time when most people do their best to stay away from hospitals. But Tehila went back to donate her kidney. And by the way, for those of you inside of the Living Deliberately Hub on Facebook, and you saw an image that I posted, it was a table with candles and a whiteboard behind it, and I asked you to guess what this week's podcast was about, that image was taken in the home of Rachel, the wife of the late rabbi. Every Friday night when she lights candles for the Sabbath, she also prays for the donors and the recipients in pairs. Prayer, by the way, is also an act of generosity. So Tehillah's surgery, thank God, was a success. The surgery, interestingly enough, is different than it used to be in the past, where the surgeons would go in from the back or from your side. Now they actually go in from your front, and part of the surgery is laparoscopic. Tehillah came out fine, but of course very weak, and her body would need quite a while to heal from that life-threatening surgery, because really any surgery can be a matter of life or death. The kidney was then transplanted into her donor, who she met face-to-face a few days later. Yet, there was a problem that was detected just a few hours after the surgery. The transplanted kidney was sitting on top of an artery and was blocking blood flow, which could have caused the recipient's death. And by the way, what I found interesting is that when you receive a kidney, your old kidneys are not even removed for whatever reason. And so the new kidney coming in has to compete with space, as there's only so much space in the body for organs, right? I don't know why this is how they do it, but they do. So the recipient had to undergo emergency surgery in order to gently move the kidney back into place. So that was surgery number two for the recipient. And the doctors explained to Tehillah that they were trying for a miracle at this point. Apparently, it didn't seem that it was going to work well for whatever reason. At some time later, this poor recipient underwent surgery number three to remove Tehillah's kidney because it just didn't take. 
By that time, Tehila and her recipient had met and they had spoken and they had connected one human being to another, one soul to another, simply wanting to give for the sake of giving and simply being generous in receiving for the sake of saving her own life. But it didn't go as expected, and both women were devastated. When we learned about what happened, we all asked Tehila what could we do to help and support her, and that's when she decided to organize a healing circle so she could share and process through her story, so that we could hold her space and listen, and so we could share our thoughts and love back to her. It was a powerful, moving, and loving night where you really felt the sense of togetherness of the women present. But Tehila was stuck. At least that's how I saw it. She was stuck on disappointment, and rightfully so, because she didn't go through that whole long year and a half process and give up a kidney to no avail. She did this to save a life, and she didn't. So in her mind, she was thinking, what was all this worth? What meaning can come from this if I couldn't save a life? How does this make any sense? Why would this happen to me and to her recipient? We held Tehila's space as she expressed her story in depth. And what I wanted to share with you today not only was her story of being generous deliberately, but a part of the story that just really irked me. And this is what happened. After Tehila went through the initial consultations, medical, psychological, all of that, she went through one final interview with one of the doctors who asked her to list the possible risks that could occur. Tehila was given a very long list of risks and potential outcomes, and she didn't memorize them, and she was kind of caught off guard. And this person, whoever he or she was, said that this is standard routine to ask the donor going in to recite the possible risks and possible outcomes just to be sure that they were clear going in. This is when I was like, stop. No. That is how they got you clear? This way? By asking you what the possible risks and outcomes are? This is not how you get clear? That won't get you clear. That's not going to get you mentally prepared for the worst just by naming off a list of possible risks. Oh man, this set me off like nothing else. When I sat with Tehila a few days later, I shared my frustration with her. I told her it's about uncovering expectations, like that she expected the surgery to go successfully on both ends. And it's about radically accepting the possibility that what she was expecting may not manifest. That is, that the surgery may not be successful. And that it's about her taking full responsibility for who she wants to be, no matter what happens. When I explained this to her, it was quite obvious that she hadn't gone through that process, and I got stuck on not reaching out to her ahead of time and guiding her to get clear. What was I thinking for not doing that? Anyway, now, in retrospect, it made a lot of sense to her. The whole process of getting clear made sense, and taking responsibility for being generous and hopeful and at peace with whatever it is, is something Tehila totally could have done had the staff at the hospital been educated with this powerful tool. 
But of course, they weren't, and that's what led Tehila to get stuck. And it's such a shame, because she didn't need to get stuck. And this is why I'm on a mission to share my tools, the unstuck method for when you get stuck, and the clear way to avoid getting stuck in the first place, with as many people as possible and to train people in my methods so they can share them forward. I even said to Tehila, I wonder if we can figure out a way to educate the doctors and the nurses about getting clear for the sake of both the future donors and recipients. I even suggested the possibility that she get trained in my tools and perhaps she could reach out to the nonprofit organization and bring this new addition to it by helping to guide people emotionally before and after the surgeries. I don't know if Tehila is going to go for that or not, but I honestly see it as something that could be so important, so valuable in the medical system. And so if you're listening to this, if you're a doctor or you work in a hospital setting and this resonates with you, please reach out to me. Send me an email. I would love to see where this could go because I'm confident Tehila's story doesn't end here. Tehila lived and continues to live up to her namesake, Glory. And I do believe her story will continue to have ripple effects both here in Israel and around the world. So, my friends, this month we are practicing generosity, and as I mentioned, generosity can come in many, many forms. Physical, emotional, monetary, in words, in thoughts. Where do you want to practice being generous this month? I do hope you consider joining us over inside the Facebook group, The Living Deliberately Hub, where we continue these conversations and learn and grow and inspire one another to continue being the best versions of ourselves as possible. Thank you so much for choosing to be with me today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please do consider sharing it with a friend or leaving me a comment or review so I can know how this podcast is making a difference in your life. Wishing you a wonderful rest of your week. And as always, I look forward to getting unstuck, getting clear, and living deliberately with you. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Living Deliberately podcast. If you would like to continue the conversation with me, come join us in the Facebook group, The Living Deliberately Hub. I look forward to being back here with you next week.